Who took the picture of you and the Pope, Anne? Exactly. Presumably Jesus, because they left room for him. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to All the Way Through, the podcast journey through the Louis Throughback catalogue to work out if we love him as much as we thought we did. I'm Matthew Miles, and goodness gracious, who is that? It's Alex Watson for some Louis chat. Surprise. Have you been working on that or is that... Maybe I came up with a poem beforehand. Who knows? I'd like you to do one about every 15 minutes during this recording, please. Look, I can only log into the Witty Web occasionally to get my poems. <laughs> How are you, Alex? Rearing to go, ready to talk about another politician from 20 years ago. How about you? Super ready, yeah. And Happy New Year. It's now 2002. This is the second series of When Louis Met, which is the first in 2002. We're out of the 2001s, finally. And we are debuting with... Anne Widdicombe. Did you not have enough of Tory politicians? They're back for the second series. Where are they considered interesting during this time? We are full Blair at this point, like all consuming the Tory killer as he was known. So yeah, it feels like they were maybe these obscure figures, which is so weird to think about now when they dominate literally every day of every news cycle. Another bit of key context I want to add. Would you like to know what the UK number one was at this time? Oh yes, please. Wait, should I guess? 2002, March 2002 is when this episode was aired. I'm going to say, let's just go sugar babes. I mean, it was a safe bet. They dominated that time period, but no, it was not. Was it a new metal band? If I said to you, eyes like, like a sunrise. It was Will Young Evergreen is the answer to the question. Pop Idol's first winner. But does Louis' documentary with Anne remain evergreen? Let's we'll find, find out. out. Well, first there's the intro, right? We see Louis sitting next to Anne as she sits in the hairdresser's chair. One of his favourite interviewing techniques of these series. And Anne lets him know. This programme's doomed to failure, you know, because the sort of conversation I find interesting you don't, the sort of conversation you find interesting I don't. Which is a good omen, yeah. But Louis giggles away at this. He looks very amused. He doesn't look phased at all. We cut to Louis driving through the streets of London and he explains he's off to meet Anne Widdicombe, who is the Tory shadow home secretary at the time, as he kind of pointedly says. She has a reputation for ultra-conservative views and an unusual private life, but he wants to get to know the real her. I think seeing she has an unusual private life makes you think... Anne Widdicombe has a sex dungeon. The weird things that Louis has seen so far in all of these documentaries, this tees you up to think Anne Widdicombe has got some serious shit going on behind the scenes. So you may end up being disappointed. According to politics.co.uk, Widdicombe has a staunchly conservative approach to social policy. She is strictly anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage and even anti-feminist. Something we don't really get into in the show, but she does have these very strong political beliefs. Louis joining her at an interesting time. It is round one of voting for a new Conservative leader. I think we've all seen this very recently. But this was the 2001 Conservative Party leadership election, which was held after the general election where Labour kind of killed them. William Hague resigned and there was a leadership contest to work out who was going to be next. 
we see Louis walk up to a red brick terraced house. He's in, I think, possibly a bad glasses era. Nothing against Louis specifically. This is probably one of those things where everybody wore terrible glasses, but tiny little wiry glasses. Alex, are they the worst glasses of the show, though? They are certainly not. True. We've got some glasses drama coming up. Stay tuned. He rings the doorbell and then turns back to whisper to the camera. It actually says her name on the door. Why is that so weird to him? I don't understand that at all. I think even now in this kind of era of high security, we know where a lot of politicians live in London, right? Yeah. So Anne answers the door. If you don't know what Anne Widdicombe looks like or looked like, she's quite small. She's a bit younger here, so she still has colour in her hair. She's wearing a black and white pattern dress and matching jacket, so quite dressy. She has kind of nervous energy, I feel like. And the initial exchange between them is quite clipped and formal. It's sort of like quick fire. Hi, hello, good morning. How are you? Very well. And they shake hands. It's odd. Yeah, her energy is really strange. I think it'd be good to discuss that as we go. She always kind of seems like she's got something else on her mind or is waiting to do something more important. But like you said, it's a really strange exchange. Would you like to come in? I'm Louis. I know you're Louis. Would you like to come in, Yes, Louis? please. Louis seems on his best polite behaviour. They go into her kitchen and he says, thank you very much for having us. It's very formal. I felt like her kitchen was quite understated. Is it just because I expect prominent Tory politicians to live in a more fancy way or does she live in quite a humble way? So this is like her second home. She's got a constituency home out in Kent, which is a bit bigger, which we see later. But you're right, it is quite small, quite pokey. So Louis gives the classic straight away, asks for a tour of the house, a quick tour of the house, but Anne isn't ready to play. She says, it depends on where you want to tour. I don't let anybody go upstairs. Sex dungeons, fine though. <laughs> Sex dungeons downstairs, all good. Upstairs, no. <laughs> Anne says, downstairs is for friends. Upstairs is where her and her mother live. Louis asks, oh, is your mother upstairs now? Which Anne says she is. How's she doing? She's fine. 90 next month, but she's fine. And Louis says it would be nice to meet her. And Anne says he can at some point, but not now. She's not up yet. Protective of her mum straight away. Looking after someone at that age, you are their primary carer. That's a tough ask. And Louis keeps trying to get a bit more out. He's saying, what's her name? Anne says Rita, but then she kind of walks away as he's still asking questions. She obviously wants to change the topic, move on, get away from that. We go into the living room and usually we see Louis with the person walking around the room. But in this case, Anne's just sat on the sofa and he points at a photo of her on the wall where she's a lot younger. And she says it was from her Oxford days. Apparently she studied philosophy, politics and economics at Oxford. Louis kind of tests the boundaries here. You look like a raven-haired temptress in that photo. Anne agrees she was young and glamorous, and Louis talks about her lovely thick hair. Anne says that's very kind of him. She has lovely thick hair, but doesn't have a reputation for looking after her appearance overly. Anne says... Well, the, the emphasis is overly, because the other reputation I have, which is that I don't care at all what I look like, is utterly false. Which I think is quite obvious. I mean, as much as she's maybe not wearing makeup, she, you know, has a nice outfit on. She looks clean. She obviously chosen her outfit very specifically. She's got earrings in and stuff. I do think that, and it still happens now, which sucks, but especially in a visible role, a woman who doesn't wear makeup is often considered to be unkempt. Whereas obviously men don't wear makeup, or not very many of them. Anne's got a photo of her meeting John Paul II, top, top Pope. That's a great Pope to have on your wall. She says that she spent 20 minutes alone with him. 20 minutes in heaven. <laughs> Louis again is testing the boundaries here, having a little nibble at Anne. He looks as though he's 
a bit dubious. He's like, well, who is she? And he's looking at her, laughing about it, wanting to see what her reaction is. It's very childish. I mean, she kind of laughs, but she says, that might be your interpretation, but I think he knew who I was. Then we cut to Louis stroking her cat on the couch. That's Mr. Pugwash. And we reveal in the most dated phrase ever, Louis says, you have an internet site where you wrote a poem about your cats. <laughs> and confirms, and she performs the poem from memory. Goodness gracious, what is that? It's Mr Pugwash, my black cat. Goodness gracious, are there others? Yes, indeed, my cat Carruthers. Beautiful. I read actually on Anne's website, which is still there, which I'm sure we'll come to, that they adopted Mr Pugwash and Mr Carruthers, so they were rescued cats. That's very sweet. It's also very internet, precluding the whole boom of cats on the internet, really. She was the original I Can Has Cheeseburger, if, if anybody remembers that. So Louis back to touring the house. He spotted that she has these teddy bear china plates on, on a, what would you call it, a cupboard? Like a dresser. Dresser, yeah. He says, the plates are soppy. Anne says she thinks they're amusing. Louis then says, brutally. I mean, I couldn't have something like that on my wall. It would just be too, I'd find it embarrassing. He's so rank. He just turned into a school bully. Why would you say that to her? It's a shame because I think she doesn't feel like she can just say, oh, I just like them. So she has to say that she finds them amusing. It's like, oh, I like them ironically. At this point, I think Louis is desperately scared that this documentary is going to be really boring. (laughs) So he says, what can we expect to see in this documentary? Have you got any projects coming up? If you tell me what intrigues you, I'll tell you what's coming up. Louis says, you're unusual in many respects. He says, she's an outspoken, prominent politician. True. She's a single woman of a certain age. We find out later she's 53, who says she doesn't think she'll ever get married. And then Louis says, you said you're a virgin. And says, uh, no, I haven't. People ask impertinent questions and make their own deductions, but she always tells them to mind their own business. I can't imagine ever just saying that to someone. I do wonder whether for the sake of the documentary, he felt like I need to do something here to shake this up or maybe get her out of her comfort zone. He's got his receipts, doesn't he? He insists, I read a quote last night that said, if anyone says I'm not a virgin, I'll sue them. Yeah, I I tried to find this to see if this was online anywhere or if there was any kind of record. I don't know where he got this from. But in a BBC Radio 4 interview in 2007, so far later, Anne relayed how a journalist once presumed she'd had at least one sexual relationship before she quipped, be careful, that's the way you get sued. Anne insists she's not going any further with this conversation. But Louis grinning at her and saying he's going to keep asking about it as they go on. And Anne gets pretty annoyed and says she was told before they started filming that he wouldn't ask about it. Louis says, by Kate, don't believe anything she says. She's not even looking at him at this point. Kate is the documentary director, Kate Townsend. Anne's really fuming. She's really angry. She says she wouldn't agree to the documentary if it was on those lines. And she says, I regard it as an impertinence. Louis does seem quite shamed after this. He does, and it's a little bit frosty, but then he tries to address it directly. He says, to be fair, Anne, you asked me why I found you intriguing, and that's why I brought up the subject. She's moving like she's fucking Batman or something. She's like, okay, yep, and then is like running out into the garden. But if you think about that, the only reason that Louis finds this politician intriguing is because she might be a virgin. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Is this the line crossed just generally by the media atmosphere at the time? The only thing I would say in the defence of that argument is 
Anne Widdicombe as a politician was very staunchly anti-gay marriage and anti-LGBT laws. So if you are having a direct impact on how other people love and live their lives based on what their sex life is, is it only fair that you get a little bit back? True. Maybe there were things Louis was trying to touch on here without getting anywhere near actually saying it. So like you say, they go outside through the kind of back of the house, through the patio doors into the garden. And that's the way they're going to leave to get to the garage. They get into Anne's little car. It looks quite comical because she's really little and kind of up close to the steering wheel. And then Louis in the back so that the camera can be in the front. Power dynamics though. Louis not driving. Louis is telling her that they're not going to make a political documentary as such, but they do talk quite a lot about the Tory leadership vote here. Anne's voting today for her man, Michael Ancrum, who, if you'll remember, got a giant slagging off during a side chat in the Hamiltons episode. Oh my God. Yeah. The boring old fart. Yeah. Huge. He's Anne's man. (laughs) Louis says he's actually interested in Anne as a celebrity, not a politician. She considers herself a politician first, though, she says. Even though she had a fairly successful first novel, she claims this isn't a humble brag, but I mean... Huge humble brag. Would you like a brief synopsis of The Clematis Tree by Anne Widdicombe, released in 2000? Yeah, go on. Mark and Claire seem like an ideal couple. He is an accountant. She the daughter of a successful businessman. They live in a comfortable middle-class village in Surrey. Then, during a party for their daughter Pippa's baptism, their son Jeremy is knocked down on the road outside, and the consequences will affect each one of them more than they could possibly imagine. Sounds alright. It got actually quite good reviews at the time. She is not lying. It did do quite well. How the hell did she have time to write a book? I know, she's so busy. It's crazy. If you want to feel worse about how unproductive you are, watch this documentary. Out of the car, Louis and Anne walk together on a busy street. Are they at Westminster? Yeah. Louis asks Anne if she gets asked to take photos with people and sign autographs. She says yes a lot. She doesn't mind doing it. During that conversation, the camera switches direction and you see that there are actually quite a lot of press photographers snapping photos of them as they're walking up and news cameras filming. Louis asks, why are they doing that? And Anne says, it's because there's a leadership election on. She's quite a crucial player in this, even though she's not up for leadership. She tries to send Louis away at that point because she's going to go in the members' entrance. Louis says, I want to be on the news as well. He got a taste of fame with the Hamiltons. About to say, I mean, surely he's had enough of being on the news at this point. So he just stands next to her as she's doing this interview telling why she's voted for Michael Ancrum and she'll stay with him to the end. Louis's there like a six-film work experience person, not really doing a lot. Louis and Anna are at the members' entrance, so the big dog's entrance to Parliament. He's getting kind of a little potted tour with Anne. And then suddenly, big Michael Ancrum, the boring old fart, turns up out of nowhere. And Anne jumps to speak to him. She kind of like cuts off a conversation with Louis and says, they're going to win. Punches him a bit on the arm. She's kind of like geeing him up like a boxer or something. Yeah. Louis tells her off for not introducing him. And Michael has to come back and do a bit of an awkward handshake. And then Louis goes, and who's your friend? So there's a quite attractive blonde young woman there. And Louis insistent they needs to meet this woman as well. It's actually Michael's daughter. <laughs> and then Michael leaves and Anne says, oh, she's honestly a really big fan of him. Just a great guy, great politician. And Louis says, his daughter um, seemed nice. Anne says, yes, he's got two daughters and they're nice. Um, and his wife as well, who he, she first met in 1974. <laughs> and Louis goes, and she works for him? And Anne goes, oh, the wife. Uh, yeah, she does. No, no, the daughter. What's, what's the deal with this daughter? Louis, Jesus. 
Man is thirsty. Crazy stuff. Louis asks Anne if she considered running for leader. She says she did. She's beloved, but didn't have the support that she needed. And she says that she thinks they wanted a pinstriped man. So Louis then asks, okay, well, will you be in Ancrum's cabinet if he wins? And she says she'd like to work with him, but she's had 11 years on the front bench and she needs a break. We go into Anne's office in Parliament and Louis does a big hello as he enters. Anne's assistant seems less than impressed. I love this woman, by the way. Gloria becomes an absolutely amazing character. But first, Anne is saying, there's rather a lot of them, Gloria, talking about Louis' team. Louis is introduced to Gloria, who at first seems cold AF. She wants nothing to do with him. She gives Louis this fairly forced smile, but with these really kind of death stare eyes. I'd say she's probably roughly about the same age as Anne. She is quite glamorous looking. She introduces herself as Anne's diary secretary, but she also does a bit of constituency work for her. And Anne shouts through, oh, tell them what you used to do. So apparently Gloria used to manage rock bands, which Louis gets quite excited about. So she says she used to work with Debbie Harry, the Ramones, the B-52s. Louis impressed. Yeah, he's excited about all of this. Interestingly, there was an article about Gloria's appointment as Anne's assistant in The Independent in the year 2000 with the headline, Rock on! Anne Widdecombe, Scourge of Drugs, bags Sean Ryder's ex-manager. <gasps> Happy Monday's frontman, Sean Ryder, known drugs fan. Whereas Anne, <laughs> Anne Widdecombe has uh, made a career out of her zero-tolerance policy towards cannabis users. But apparently, Gloria's previous experience in the music industry was also in the Catholic Church. So maybe that's where they kind of had their connection and and felt she was okay. Anne says that she thought if Gloria could manage rock bands, she could handle Anne. Turn it up to 11. Louis then, being a little bit cheeky, asks if there's any of the rock stars that Gloria's worked with that Anne most resembles. Gloria gives a little nervous laugh. She's not paid enough to comment on that. And then Anne escorts Louis and the team into her particular room, her office space. Hopefully the answer wasn't Sean Ryder. Maybe it was. Maybe. Louis is concerned. He sort of trails after Anne and says, that wasn't embarrassing, was it, Anne? You seem to quite enjoy that. That's such a weird thing to say. I don't know why he does that. It's kind of like when you recommend a film to someone and you're watching it with them and then you're constantly trying to gauge their reaction. Yeah. So inside Anne's kind of inner office, we see that there are some religious knickknacks on the mantelpiece. There's a cross and a little, like, Jesus card i don't know what the terms are clearly you haven't met the pope (laughs) louis then brings up that Anne is no friend to the rock and roll lifestyle which makes gloria an unconventional choice it makes Anne sound like she banned elvis presley or something louis spots many many copies i mean you couldn't miss it really of Anne's biography on the shelf he says is it a pretty good job because obviously somebody else has written it if it's a biography and Anne says she has no objections to it it's called Right From The Beginning, with the right highlighted, like right wing. Uh... Louis then kind of towering over her as they're walking around the office. And he says, you're not as tall as I expected. And Anne says, I'm five foot one and a half. Don't forget the half. And then they have a little laugh. And I've wrote at this point, are they bonding? I said, kind of cute. Then we cut to a man called Mark. And Mark looks like a British Home Store's version of Matt Hancock. <laughs> and he runs the Widdy Web which is Anne's personal website. Anne says they've had so many hits. It's viral. 
Mark chimes in and says, actually, Pugwash and Carruthers, the cats, are overtaking Anne in popularity on the website. And then Louis just sort of really awkwardly starts quoting the cat poem again. There's a moment where everybody looks at him like, what is this? What? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And then they all kind of join in and do a little bit. There's a few jokes in this which get done to death. (laughs) And one of them is the cat poem. They couldn't leave it alone. We see some clips from the Witty Web. We see some screenshots, including Anne sat at her desk with a phone in her hand. And the caption reads, Chicken Madras, two naan bread and an onion bhaji. <laughs> this is Instagram before Instagram. Is there a theory that Anne Widdicombe actually invented every type of social media? It's mad, but apparently she doesn't use Twitter. So this is really interesting that she was kind of like the precursor to a lot of politicians' social media presence. This is a truly innocent time for politicians on the internet and Anne is there as a pioneer doing funny memes of herself holding a phone. (laughs) Wasn't it quite nice to see the early noughties internet? Oh, it's beautiful. It really brought a tear to my eye. An innocent, innocent time. So again, we see the poem written out on the website. They are really doing this to death now. And then Louis says on his voiceover that he's surprised how media savvy Anne seemed. Despite, he says, her being known as a no-nonsense figure. So that is interesting because it's like, as much as she just wants to seem very straight down the line, she's obviously thinking all the time about how she appears and what she's doing and being cutesy and relatable and stuff. So I do think there's a lot going on that she sort of doesn't acknowledge. Oh, 100%. Mark says the website is deliberately slightly wacky. We see a page which is Witty Web Junior, which I'm assuming is for the kids that want to go visit and learn about Anne Widdicombe. Still on the site now. That's important to state. The Witty Web still exists. There's a photo of Anne with a giant Winnie the Pooh toy and also with her cats and with her mum. I think they got rid of the one of her holding the phone asking for an onion bhaji. <laughs> so I think it was a good choice. Back in the car and back in the driver's seat. And we get news hot off the press that the Tory election frontrunner, Michael Portillo, is losing support. Louis asks what Anne doesn't like about him. She says it's more his supporters than him that she's got an issue with. And you know, I always think when you've got a leader, that's it. You're all loyal to that leader. You don't hatch plans to put another leader in. Then a pager goes off in the car. I've never even used a pager, have you? No, I remember my granddad having one. Bet it'd be quite exciting. Huge. So Louis picks it up because Anne's driving and he has to read the message out. So he says, the leadership second ballot result, Ancrum 17, Clark 39, Davis 18, Duncan Smith 42, Portillo 50. So Ancrum's really not doing well. (laughs) And Louis says, that's not very good for your man. Anne's really quiet for a minute and then she just says, well, that means he's out of the running. He's gone. Bye bye, Ancrum. So she really was with him to the end. It's just that the end was about like four hours later. <laughs> the page of rings again and Louis reads it out. He's now Anne's new comms assistant, essentially. And it says, please call Gloria in the morning about a bid for Frost on Sunday. Anne says she would consider a chance to go on Frost Breakfast Show and chat with him about the leadership contest. She's open to that idea. Louis asks Anne what went wrong with Anne Crum, her sweet cheese, her good time boy. She says that the colleagues never really tell you, but she says it was right that they tried. Then Anne, in a very formal way, says, I shall now transfer my allegiance to Clark. Like it's some sort of spell, which I found really funny. Louis says in voiceover, I was surprised how quickly Anne had shifted her allegiance. I sensed she'd anticipated the outcome and that this was all part of the political game. Wasn't brave enough to say that in the car, were you though, Louis? (laughs) 
He just said it out the window really quick so she wouldn't hear. Anne's day is not over. We are going to a girls' private school in Kent. There is some violin music playing. We see a grand school estate. It looks like the White House. I mean, how the other half go to school? I know, Jesus Christ. We see Anne giving a speech. She's giving out an award. She's busy. She's like fully in on this. It's a big public appearance for her. But Louis managed to catch a moment with her. He's there casually sipping an orange juice. Or is it a mimosa? Ooh. Those didn't exist then. We called it Buxvis. Louis says Anne has a full schedule. She says today's actually fairly relaxed. Louis's like, but my standards, this is busy. This is real busy. He asks. When do you get to kick back and just sort of, you know, listen to some records and watch oh. a bit of TV? She's not kicking back in 1975. Why is she doing <laughs> so weird? She says she does that a little bit on Sundays. Louis tries to go deeper. You don't get much time to yourself, but that's the way you like it, isn't it? She's psychoanalyzing Anne. It's super like a therapy session. He's Dr. Melfi and she's Tony Soprano. She says she likes politics. That's what keeps her happy. So that's why she likes it, which I think is totally true. And we kind of see that as it plays out. But anyway, Anne's got milling to do. She can't sit around and deal with a childhood with Louis. And Louis watches on from behind his mimosa. Okay, so that was a nice ending to the day. We felt like they'd probably bonded. They seemed fairly comfortable with each other. Cue Anne's constituency home in Kent. So Louis rings the doorbell. Anne answers, doesn't say hello. She just says, okay, but I'm on the phone and just kind of leaves the door open. I wrote at this point, Louis is a hindrance. She's not pleased to see him. Louis asks how she's doing and Anne says, I'm doing very well, thank you. I don't know how you're doing, but I'm doing okay. Super confrontational. Imagine if someone said that to you, you'd be like, uh. (laughs) She's not even said hello to him. She's not used the word hello at all. Anne's then kind of looking around at the crew behind the camera and she spots someone. Were you with us yesterday? Briefly at the end. Briefly at the end. Right. Okay, fine. Louis says, oh, that's Helen, but she's not here, as in, you shouldn't be talking to the crew. This is me and you in a one-on-one situation. There's a lot of women in this crew, which is quite nice to see. And the person he names is Helen Sage, who is the assistant producer on this documentary. But I bet she wishes she was an assistant producer on this documentary. And goes in on Helen for the kill. She goes out to the hall. The camera kind of drops to the carpet. But Anne's saying... We met at the meeting, the terms of which were breached in the first five minutes. I I can only be led along so far. And then I get very angry. There was an extremely clear agreement at that meeting that there were certain areas which were off limits. And it happened in the first five minutes. They seem to end the day so well yesterday and now Anne is pissed. She is angry. She goes, right, okay, well, what kind of coffee do you want to Helen? And you just hear Helen go, I'm okay, thanks. Is she blaming Helen and Kate for Louis's questions? Like he's some sort of uncontrollable talent it does feel a bit like she's yeah passing the blame on rather than just saying to louis i don't want to do this or i'm upset about how yesterday went i would love to know how that pre-meeting went and how much they did agree or what they didn't agree on and see what was left open but you're opening up your life things are naturally going to come up so louis tries to kind of calm the situation down again he's not letting the frosty atmosphere sit he wants to try and see if they can talk about it directly shall we leave that or shall i try to explain Anne says they're not going to do that on camera. They're not going to talk about this on camera. In the voiceover, Louis says he hadn't realised how much he'd damaged relations with Anne the previous day. So he decides to stay clear of her personal life. 
I didn't see that come in at all. You can only think that she went home that night and thought about it and went, actually, I wasn't happy about how that went. Or whether she spoke to Gloria or somebody who kind of said, oh, you shouldn't put up with that. There was an agreement in place. Louis asks about this being her constituency residence. She's still really spiky, if you want to put it in those grand terms. It's not grand terms, is it? It's just fact. I don't think he could have said anything that she would have liked at that point. She was really angry. We see a young photo of Anne with Thatcher. Louis mentions that Anne was very pro-nuclear weapons, which kind of hints at those right-wing views that she's got. She says very much so. Who is very pro-nuclear weapons? I know. So they go to the dining room area. There's a big dining table there with Winnie the Pooh sat at the head of the table. Anne's really pro-nuclear weapons, but she's got a cuddly toy sat at her dining table. Anne has these cartoons on the wall, satirical cartoons, mainly of her. You see these in papers all the time and on social media now, skewering looks at politicians. Louis asks if she finds them hurtful, and Anne replies, God, no, why? He says they're making a caricature of her, the way she looks and feels about things. Anne says they're hilariously funny. She points out one that she says is her favourite, where her face is on the body of a giant cat. And she says the cat's monstrous, but she thinks it looks quite endearing. I do feel like she's bluffing here i don't know this kind of proves that when it comes to politics and like the game of politics she has got the skin of a rhino personal life stuff her relationships her sex life really upsets her they go out into the garden <laughs> even though she's angry he calmed down he wasn't going to ask for personal stuff for about two minutes and then he's asking if they can prevail of the bathroom or the bedroom You can see it, though, bracing himself. He's speaking like it's a Jane Austen novel at this point. Anne says no. He asks, can I press that point? (laughs) (laughs) Anne says he can keep asking if he wants, but the answer is not going to change. And Louis then says, I would really like to see your bedroom. Oh, the tension is unbearable. You wonder if he's used that line before and has it worked. Would he use that line on Michael Ancrum's daughter? (laughs) Anne says, no, I won't let anyone in my bedroom. Certainly not a television camera. She tells him to stop arguing. She won't change her mind. And then she kind of like nervously laughs it off. But I wonder why this is so important to Louis. Because Debbie McGee never lets Louis into the bedroom. That was one of the big things. They don't show the bedroom. He has a little joke about it, but it's not the be-all and end-all. I wonder if this is more about Anne having these super controlled, guarded barriers up. Just keep thinking about how we had to see Jimmy Savile's bedroom. And his deceased mum's bedroom. I would have loved if we hadn't seen that, actually. Jesus wept. (laughs) They're going round the back of the house. And Anne is saying, despite it being a bungalow, they will keep their cameras away from rooms that they can't go in. Again, the bedroom and the bathroom. She's just on edge. They do, to be fair, keep the camera completely straight ahead, but you still see a bed through the window as you walk past. And Louis goes, I glanced to the left. (laughs) Anne says it's perfectly normal. She just doesn't want them filming in there. It feels like she's made this far bigger than it needed to be. I mean, from what you see, it just looks like a bed if she'd not made a fuss about it it wouldn't have been an issue maybe she's got a huge collection of like erotic pottery or something (laughs) oh god so anyway she tries to distract from that conversation she goes oh the roses are out aren't the roses fantastic and they go and stand in the hilled garden and Anne talks about the famous sutton valance view which you can't get from there so we're not seeing that sutton valance is the village that she lives in it's her constituency Louis says, is it a picturesque town? And Anne says, I think it's picturesque. Because she's so zany and she looks really, really pleased with herself. They exchange this weird smile. 
The changes in tone are mad. Louis says that joke's a bit wet. Anne replies, if you say so, I don't mind being wet. Oh, Anne. Louis doesn't bite. He doesn't bite. But anyway, enough of that. There's agricultural shows to go to because it is the Kent Agricultural Show. We see a man who's just bought an antique table telling Anne she should have stood to be leader. She says she just didn't have the support. He says, but the people, they wanted it. The country at large, but not in Parliament, I'm afraid, is the issue here. She's the people's princess. Yeah, she took over that role. Um, Louis makes fun of this guy as he walks away talking about his Kent accent and Anne laughs but she tells him off he says perhaps it was a bit of a speech impediment that's a bit of London snobbery there from Louis I think and from Anne I guess then they're having drinks in the governors and council lounge which is a tent and Anne has donned a truly vile green hat of the kind that if someone wore it to a wedding, you'd spend the entire day just looking at it and needing to burn it. It's like toxic waste green and it's, yeah, it's awful. But the hot topic in, tent in Kent is, in the tent in Kent, is what's going on in the world of the leadership election. Anne says she's voting for Kenneth Clark. She's sticking with her new man, Ken Clark. But it's too close to call between the top three as to who's going forward. So we get some shots of the fate then. There's soldiers dancing. There's a man in a white suit playing a keyboard. Anne's kissing babies. She strokes a donkey. There's horses jumping over things. All the Little England stuff that you want is right here at this Kent show. We cut to Louis and Anne back in the car. Louis looks pooped kind of slouched in the back seat like a moody teenager. He sheepishly asks, do you think about sort of getting a makeover, sort of? <laughs> and instantly says no. And then Louis argues that politics is about image. She replies that it's actually about substance and what you believe. And Louis says, that's not the modern world though, is it? And Anne says, well, tough. I think that's a good point from Anne. It should be about substance, what you believe and not what you look like. And then says, If people do not want me for my, which obviously they do because of the reception I've been getting, uh, for my beliefs, then you know, I don't particularly want them to want me for some sort of superficial outer image. They do. The people want her. The man with the table told her. We go back to Anne's house. Louis narrates, I found Anne and I were getting on quite well. I liked her and thought she liked me, but there were still areas of her personal life I felt I didn't understand. This is where I thought, uh oh, the tension's building. He's going to ask something again about how many sexual partners does she have on a daily basis. <laughs> but they kind of just say goodbye at the door. They're going to meet up at breakfast with Frost. And Louis asks nothing. Well, we know why. Because he's away to rent a suit or buy a new shirt or whatever. Next time we see Louis and Anne, they're in the back of a car together on their way to breakfast with Frost. And Louis is yawning like a trooper and he says, unfortunately, he's feeling somewhat worse for wear after attending a friend's wedding the <laughs> night before. This sums up when Louis met for me, right? I think this is the perfect encapsulation of he'd done all this stuff where he was traveling the world and was probably missing out on so much of his personal life. And he just went, what if I can do something around all of the shit in my personal life that I probably should go to? That is when Louis met. You can just imagine being at that wedding, can't you? And being like, oh, Louis, we've not seen you for ages. How's it going? Oh, man, you've been doing so much stuff. What are you up to? And he's like, well, I'm doing a thing with Anne Whittacombe tomorrow, but like, no worries, no worries. I can have a few drinks. I'll just have a few. 
Louis congratulates himself for getting up so early on a Sunday. <laughs> what he means is, I'm still drunk. And Anne laughs at him and it's obviously like, yeah, okay, mate. Breakfast with Frost was the big Sunday morning BBC Current Affairs programme hosted by Sir David Frost, a huge figure in political journalism. He's like 103 years old at this point, even though he's actually only 60, I found out. Despite this show being absolutely a ginormous show and a huge thing in journalism, I don't think Louis ever watched it. He says, <laughs> do you get breakfast on Breakfast with Frost? It's in the name. <laughs> He thinks it's like Saturday morning kitchen. It's Sunday brunch with Tim Lovejoy. She's like, yeah, we do some gin tasting and then I try to cook some salmon. He just really pushes the breakfast as well. And Anne's like, I don't know. I mean, we can get some food after if you want. And he's like, okay, yeah. Okay, we're really going to need that. As they pull up, they notice a cameraman waiting for them as they get out of the car. And Louis says, oh, is this part of the show? What's happening? And Anne says, no. Louis says, is that the news? Are we making the news? He's so weird in this one. As they walk past, he says, I'm sorry, we have no comment. We're in the BBC foyer and then Big Daddy David Frost turns up. Anne and him kiss on both cheeks. He tells her she's looking great. None of this makeover talk from David Frost. He calls her darling as well. Louis goes in for the hello and says, Hi, I'm Louis Theroux. And David Frost looks him like, I have no idea who that is or what you are. He's like two years away from retirement at this point. Like, fuck it. So in the dressing room, Louis says, Don't worry, his headache's starting to lift now. Everybody can relax. And Anne sort of says, Oh, how was the wedding? Did they have the awful traditional disco afterwards? And Louis says, Yeah, it was nice. And Anne says, I hate that. She likes weddings where the couple leave after the reception. Is that a thing? It used to be a thing, but everyone else would still stay and get drunk. Oh. My parents always complain about that. They just got told they had to leave. But Louis asks Anne to explain why she doesn't like discos at the end of weddings. You know, maybe it's the wrong kind of music. She says she doesn't think she has to explain her reasons for everything. It's just a like or a dislike. She doesn't have to explain why she likes potatoes, why she doesn't like liver. And then she says, stop turning everything into a confrontation, Louis. Is it Louis turning everything into a confrontation or is it Anne? She said she hates discos. Like, he's allowed to ask, why do you hate discos? You might feel a bit defensive as well if it was your friend's wedding and she's like, oh God, that sounds shit. (laughs) Some people have come into the green room. Louis has to introduce himself even though he's hanging out of his ass. He's very formal, like he's announcing his school project. Good morning. Uh, We're making a BBC Two documentary about Anne. So that's what we're doing here. How do you do? I'm Louis. The new people then kind of go... Oh, right, okay. Um, it's not that much room in this tiny broom cupboard, so we're probably just going to leave, actually. One of the guys is called Stephen Norris, who apparently ran for the mayor of London at one point. Louis says, doesn't he have three wives or something? And says he had a series of mistresses. This does seem to be the thing about Stephen Norris that people went on about a lot. He did apparently have a lot of extramarital affairs. There was a Guardian political column from the year 2000, March 2000, titled, Is This a Shagger I See Before Me? (laughs) Which is... Incredible. Absolutely amazing. And that was all about a big interview with Stephen Norris about his London Mayor campaign. Anne really doesn't want to go into the details of the mistresses. It's not just her personal life. She obviously draws a line where she's like, I don't want to gossip. Let's not do that. And then luckily someone comes in and Louis doesn't have time to ask anymore because they're ready for Anne. And David Frost says Anne does not need makeup. So Anne's in the makeup chair. She's asking for bright lipstick. She wants bright pink lipstick. We cut to backstage and it's about to begin. 
Louis with David Meller, who was a Tory politician turned columnist and radio presenter. He looks kind of like Jimmy Tarbuck. Then the other guy is a man called Lance Price, who was the Labour Party's director of communications until that 2001 general election. So that's just happened a few months ago. So Lance might be out of a job. They're talking about the fact that Louis doing a documentary about Anne. Jimmy Tarbuck says, oh, there's no shortage of material there. Lance asks, how intimate a portrait is it? Which is a really horrible phrase and made me feel a bit ill. And Louis says, we haven't been into the bedroom yet. Anne and Frost get into it. She says that the Tories have to grow up, stop feuding over Europe, interesting for her, and get back to making themselves a party to ruin this country once again. Are they not still saying that? <laughs> I mean, one out of three ain't bad. They managed to run the country again. Then suddenly, oh my God, David Frost is having spectacle issues. His thin wire frames seem to have collapsed on his face. Louis freaks out at this. He's like, oh my God, oh my God, his glasses. And Anne comes off set and she says, oh, poor guy, they broke in the middle. David Frost himself is there and Anne says, I was trying to elongate my answers, give you time to sort your glasses out. And Louis's like, well done, you really held it together. Setting Frost up for... When I, 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 held, I held my glasses together. <laughs> He's only 62. He looks older, doesn't he? He looks about 300 years old and they talk about him. The way Anne says, poor guy, like he's just messed himself on air or something. And so then Louis and Anne are back in the car. And again, this whole thing of like doing small talk to death, like they did with the poem. They're still talking about these fucking glasses. I guess if you really, really need your glasses, which I assume Louis does, you maybe have a little panic about the idea of them breaking. So this is like a personal trauma for Louis. Yeah, I reckon so. So Louis drops Anne off at her London house and hands her a bag of shopping. Looks like there's a loaf of bread in there. Maybe some tonic water. Big weekend for Anne. back at parliament because it's the second round of voting in the Tory leadership election and as we mentioned is backing Ken Clark and she tells Louis that MPs are still trying to convince each other to vote for a certain candidate that's happening over in parliament sounds good that sounds good for a TV documentary she's not involved they're not going over there her and Gloria are just getting on with some work we see Anne dictating letters into a recorder Louis is dressed in a long sleeve white shirt which I don't know just looks really odd maybe it's too big for him i wonder if he got told off for the last time he was at parliament for not being dressed up enough he decides to bother gloria who doesn't look very thrilled about it but she says that anne writes letters the way other people breathe louis comments that it's a relaxed atmosphere in the office is that code for boring <laughs> gloria says we're very very hard working yeah. but we do have a laugh and it's often like a girl's dorm which I was thinking must be fun for Mark, the witty web guy. <laughs> <laughs> Anne is off to do interviews outside in the rain. They're doing the big announcement of the leadership results out there. Louis hasn't brought a brolly, he hasn't brought a jacket, and he is getting absolutely soaked. He dives under an umbrella with a man called Jonathan Broom, who is part of the Ken Clark campaign, and the voting results are being announced. This is a big political moment, but all the people with their umbrellas have kind of huddled in together. <laughs> And Louis is left outside in the cold and in the rain. And he keeps kind of running towards the group and then running back and just panicking completely. But you just need to watch Johnny Broom because he's got all the reactions you need. Yes! He's so happy. He does a jump in celebration. Fist pump in the air. And then disappears. And pulls this ecstatic face. It's like the cover of The Bends, the Radiohead album. <laughs> she is so fucking elated about what she's just heard. 
Jonathan comes back to tell Louis that it's an enormous result. Ken Clark, 59. He's, he's won, won it. it. Duncan Smith, 54. Portillo, 53. So it was close. Anne's rival, Anne's big hated figure. She didn't like Portillo and he's gone. And that's a huge shock. Apparently that's a really big deal. And then suddenly Anne is the woman in demand. She is doing media rounds with everyone. Microphones in her face, cameras, and she's talking to loads of people in that media scrum. Then we see her whisked off to the BBC Five live studio within Parliament. She bounces up and down and says, did it, did it, like a little kid, I guess. And then she says, oh, and I was so depressed about an hour ago. Louis, who's kind of dripping in the corner, moves over and says, where are you? Why are you so depressed? She says she thought it was too tight a race and it wasn't going to go her way. But she says inside I was depressed. But I don't think we could have got that from Anne an hour ago. I don't think we kind of saw that. She wasn't anything different from her normal self. So she does the five live interview. Her beeper is going off her pager again. They're all coming for me now. It's Lizzie at Newsnight. Big deal. Things are really coming up Widdicombe. Louis says, In a way, it's a Widdicombe victory. No? No, 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 it's a Clark victory. Or it's a Widdicombe Clark victory. <laughs> no, it's Clark. The broom man is still there. Still kind of hanging around. Yeah, he's a funny character, isn't he? I tried to see where he was now. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything. Jonathan, if you're still about, give us a shout. <laughs> Louis heads back to Gloria to give his take on the events. Said that Annie felt was being marginalised a few days ago. Now she's back in it, back in the throng. Gloria takes a big smoke from her spliff and says... (laughs) It's rock and roll. It's battlefield conditions. It's going. It's the bus. Same thing. I've written, she is so cool. Has to be the coolest political secretary ever, right? That adrenaline rush is really hard to beat. It's no wonder that she's kind of addicted to that buzz of being in the middle of politics. And then that makes you wonder how she's going to deal with it when she's no longer in the forefront. Well, this thing, this whole I'm going for a quiet life, it doesn't feel like that quite sits right with what we've seen here at all. So Louis, this wasn't going to be a political documentary and it really is a political documentary. So he's kind of trying to pull it back. He tells Gloria that he likes Michael Portillo. Gloria says, yeah, sure, he's charismatic. And Louis says, he's got big blubbery lips. Like Mick Jagger. (laughs) She's just really relaxed into it now, which is really funny, considering how cold she was at first. (laughs) She's now just like riffing on Louis. And then Louis's trying to get Gloria to say that she thinks Portillo is sort of sexy. He does this like fish face impression. It's very disturbing. So I had to remind myself what Michael Portillo looked like at this point. Is there something of Tim Allen about him? Oh, I could see that. He looks like a Madame Tussauds waxwork of somebody else, but I just can't think who. (laughs) Well, Gloria does not confirm or deny that he's sexy. And then Louis walks into Anne's inner office to tell her that Portillo's going to go on the back benches. That's what they're saying. Slow down, Paxman. He's he's got into his political journalism now. Who's they? My sources are telling me. He doesn't even have Twitter at this point. He tells her, you can sit together holding hands on the back benches. Anne's buzzing. She's absolutely buzzing. So they all have a celebratory drink together. Is this the first time that Louis and Anne have had a drink? Yeah, yeah. Compare it to the Hamiltons. They have a glass of red wine, Louis-Anne and Gloria. Gloria kind of grasses up Louis for trying to get her to say Michael Portillo was cute and rolls her eyes in a big cartoonish way. Louis says, he does have something though, doesn't he? His big blubbery lips. And says, ooh. <laughs> and she isn't going to discuss this. Shocker, she's not going to discuss it. 
So that's enough political fun and games for now. Anne's done her bit. She's got her man, the second man, Ken Clark, in. Mission complete for now. So she's going to treat herself to a nice cruise. She's doing the Arctic cruise, which sounds pretty cool. We see Louis in Norway, and he's going to meet them after some negotiations for a few days on the cruise. The ship is called the Black Watch. I can tell you that it entered service in 1972, but as of January 2022, it has been beached for scrapping in India it is no more Anne is on this cruise with her mother Rita we hear that Anne has set up some restrictions on what they can film and what they can't film but Louis hopes Anne might relax when they're on board which obviously she's never gonna do so he finds them sat in the cafe bar on board and sits down and the camera I think very pointedly only shows Anne at first and she says they've been having a lovely time she talks about all the animals that they've seen and she says it's wonderful and then we see a shot of Rita her mum she's looking out the window she's obviously an older lady but I mean she looks pretty great for nearly 90. Fab really good. Louis kind of asks whisperingly can I say hello to Rita is that okay? She says, yes, that's fine. And Rita says she's loved the cruise. Then they get into some very banal small talk. The cruise ship is so big. Anne says people spend months on those cruise ships. Rita says she wouldn't mind a bit of that. And then we meet Veronica, who is there to help care for Rita. Although Veronica is introduced as Anne's friend. Yes. So, so. maybe not just a carer. And that's Widdicombe's lawyers on the phone right now. So we'll end that there. <laughs> hey, don't shoot the messenger that's on the documentary. Isn't it quite weird also to see Anne Widdicombe in like a jumper? With a polar bear on it, right? Yeah, she quite likes quite cutesy, I suppose Louis would call them wet designs. She loves wet t-shirts, are you saying? <laughs> yeah. Louis goes with Veronica and Rita and Anne into the cabin. It's quite big. There's like a lounge area, but also the bedroom is separate. Rita. Shall I show you our cabin? Huge moment. Louis kind of acts away. He knows that he doesn't want to anger Anne. So he says, is that all right with Anne? Rita says, it doesn't matter about Anne. And Anne says, no, no, they are forbidden in both houses and here. Louis laughs nervously. Rita kind of looks a bit confused. And Veronica's just there smiling in the background. Nobody really knows if this is serious or not. Rita jokes, am I allowed to go in the cabin? And everyone has a little laugh, which is really good. And then we kind of see them setting off on their tour in the sites of the Arctic and around that area. I thought it was very sweet that Anne sees something she thought was really cool. So she gives Louis her binoculars to share. The relationship's improving. They're playing drafts together. Quite a sedate cruise. The words God's waiting room wouldn't be amiss for the crowd on that ship. Anne and Louis are probably the youngest people on board. So when they're playing drafts, Louis asks Anne, why are you laughing? Do you think you've got me? And she says that she thinks they're both playing the most cautious game of drafts she's ever seen. A metaphor, maybe? So then, Alex, you'll be pleased to know it's British night on the ship. <laughs> Thank God. Because <laughs> it was all getting a bit foreign there for a minute. Louis is going to meet Anne for a drink in a cabin and he brings some champagne with him. So it's British night and they're all dressing up in, I think the idea is to dress up in red, white and blue, I'm assuming, like the Union Jack colours. But there's a lot of red all round. Everyone's got a lot of red on except Louis. And he asks, has Anne got a red neckerchief that he could borrow? (laughs) Anne says, no, fuck off. She doesn't say that. Somehow this white shirt that he's wearing is even more oversized than the last one. It kind of looks like he's dressed up as a doctor. (laughs) He's got the David Bone shirt, but he hasn't got the suit to go with it. Cut to the British night banquet. It's lots of Union Jacks everywhere. A flag shaggers paradise, I've written. (laughs) Not really. They've actually not really put that much effort into it. 
Louis says in the voiceover that he thought things were going okay, but he was hoping to get to know Rita a little bit better. And the next day he's doing a talk about her book. Louis is reading it and he says it's a real page turner. Anne's doing a kind of signing. There's a queue of Voldies. Louis sat next to Anne, but Rita and Veronica are just off to the side. What the fuck happens here? This is madness. <laughs> so Rita reveals that Anne has wrote a poem about Kate, the documentary director. And then Rita is about to reveal what this poem is. But Anne, while in the middle of kind of signing autographs and talking to these geriatrics, says, no, we're not doing that. Rita kind of laughs, so I'm always getting in trouble. Louis, confused, keeps asking, what happened? What happened? And then we get the opening line of the poem, which is, Kate ate a cake. Rita is trying to mouth some of the words at Louis, but Anne is desperate to get her, and she's kind of saying, Veronica, take her into the other room. Yeah, even Veronica's giggling. Like, this is very much a don't get told off by the teacher moment. It is. It really, really is. It's just so funny, and I would love to know what the rest of that poem was. Well, you know you can't stop our Matthew when he's got an idea in his head. So here he is chatting to the director of this episode and longtime Louis Theroux collaborator, Kate Townsend, who is now in a top job at Netflix and, rumour has it, may have once eaten a cake. My name's Kate Townsend and I am Documentary Features Commissioner at Netflix. This was the fourth film I directed with Louis. I'd done three weird weekends before that. And I, I guess you put me in the sort of fledgling director category because I'd done a series called Paddington Green and I'd applied for Louis in the page three of the Media Guardian. And I think I'd probably been the only people that would seen him on the Michael Moore series. So I think they were a bit desperate. So I got the job based on having not done much. What is it like to direct a Louis Theroux documentary? What does that look like, really? Well, two things. It's really important that it's, it's obviously authentic that Louis meets the people for the first time on camera. So the authenticity is really key. So what that means in practice is that the director and usually researcher spend quite a lot of time phone bashing and then a lot of time on the road. So if it was a foreign film, would be at least two, sometimes three weeks on the road um, having narrowed down on, on the phone contributors. And then we spent time on the road just really securing the access. We tended then to film characters a teeny bit as well. So then we'd try and persuade them to be on camera. And, and obviously, the, you know, particularly weird weekends are kind of controversial characters. And then we'd go back to the office and we'd watch bits of it or describe the characters. And then we'd have loads of stickies with Louis and David, the EP, and we'd sort of whittle it down, the contributors. And then we'd do a rough sort of order just so that we could see that different people were doing different things. And then we'd go back with Louis. So it was always that Louis had met them for the first time on camera. At this point, Louis had a little bit of a profile maybe or not at all. He didn't have that much of a profile at that point. I think he, people knew the name and people had enjoyed Weird Weekends, but I think it was really around the Jimmy Savile, which was around this series. I don't think Jimmy had gone out at this point, so he hadn't gone stratospheric, really. I actually re-watched the film this morning. I was pinging Louis when I was watching it because some bits I'd, I'd just forgotten. But, you know, even at one bit, there's some, some photographers outside Parliament taking photographs of Louis and he's kind of joking like, oh, that looks quite nice. Can I, you know, and so they're not focusing on him. I mean, it'd be really obviously a different thing now. So it was kind of the sort of sweet spot when he wasn't really that recognised. And, and therefore, to do UK subjects, it wasn't a question of bumping against him so much as really finding characters that were as big and colourful enough as American um, or South African ones. 
from the start of the documentary, there's a lot of conversation about the kind of pre-negotiations with Anne Widdicombe. What did those conversations look like? Was that a tough challenge? You can see she's fairly tough nut. I mean, she had allowed us to go and meet her. I went with Helen, the AP, to meet her. And she was just very clear that she didn't really want her sort of relationship life discussed was the main issue. Obviously, in the documentary itself, we see you get kind of a severe dressing down from Anne Widdicombe on camera. Mm. Did you expect that to happen? We were pushing the envelope, weren't we? There's no doubt that one of the main reasons we were interested in her, because she was a curiosity. I mean, she was kind of a fairly extreme politician at the time, someone who was pushing at the envelope of being a celebrity. But the fact that she was a sort of bachelorette, there's no doubt was a curiosity. Back in the day, we didn't have anything written down in the contract. It was just more agreement. We wouldn't talk about her personal life. Um, and I think it was more specific, her relationship. So Louis definitely pushed it. And, and it was understandable in a way that she really sort of blew back at Helen and me more than Louis because we'd done the negotiation. And that was genuinely the way, frankly, it worked all the time with Louis. Usually the sort of um, good cop, bad cop, whereas the bad cops, of, you know, any access issues would always come my way apart because you persuade people to appear in the first place. Is that part of making the documentary work? I have to take this flack so they still have this good relationship with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have to say, Louis on the whole is pretty good. I mean, people, you know, that's one of his many gifts. People tend to naturally warm and want to open up to him. But like everyone, he can push it too far sometimes. And if he's had a few glasses of wine too many, he can be a bit clumsy in his wording. So there's a bit of rowing back to do on our part sometimes, but not often. But that is the role. Yeah, that's the role of the producer. I would produce a director of it. And it's totally the role to sort of try and make things good if, if things got tricky. Most remember it was obviously going to the Arctic cruise because that was kind of amazing. We Louis and I flew up to Bergen and, uh, and met them there and went on this boat. So that was great because it was just an incredible setting. It was June, so it was just like daylight all the time. Um, it was kind of a bizarre setting because obviously we were sort of the youngest by about 30 years on the cruise. And Rita was great. That was lovely. So it was all going swimmingly and the mum was really good fun. But Anne had told us not to film her. I, I have to say, I don't really regret it. You know, Louis got talking to the mum. I picked up the camera and I was so focused on listening to their conversation, but I didn't notice Anne. You can see, if you see the film, you can see her storming up. That was a mistake in the sense that after that, we really weren't allowed to do much with Anne. You know, it was just a question of GBs and there wasn't much talking. So I guess we probably blew a few days eating ice creams with her and doing jigsaws rather than getting more content for the programme. But that scene was a memorable scene and one people talk about. And Louis wasn't really digging too much with the mum anyway. They were just having a bit of fun. On this and previous Weird Weekends episode, mm. was there anything you kind of learned that you're like, OK, I take that lesson with me forever. That's the thing I always do or always avoid now. Films are tough enough. You've got to all be passionate about the subject. So that was a learn from me. I was going to say another learn for me being straight about access points, but I think we were sufficiently, we didn't mislead about access points. We just weren't that specific about access points. And frankly, that is the nature of getting access. If she had specifically said, Louis can't ask me about my virginity, we'd have obviously said that, but it was a quite a general conversation. I think there's something in the idea of Anne Widdicombe was a big member of parliament at that point, was very anti-gay marriage and very interested in other people's love and relationships. I didn't know whether it was a kind of a subversion of that to kind of turn that back on her maybe in some way. That's a very kind of thought through um, rationale, not one we dug, we, we dug into that deeply at the time, I have to say. 
there's no question she was leveraging Louis. Actually, who won in that battle? I think she did because she came out as a real stepping stone for her celebrity status. And it certainly launched her on that road to um, Strictly and all those other reality shows. Pretty sure it was the first one she was in. So it was successful for her. And you know, Louis and I got told off. We got hauled into some BBC office with some, because she did that very political thing of going above us. She went up to some BBC big wig and we got hauled in to apologise to her. Which was fine. Apologise in person to Anne. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, Anne wrote a poem about you, and we only hear ever the first line, which is, Kate ate a cake. Did you ever find out the rest of the poem? No, I didn't, actually. And I didn't really know. There was so much going on. And frankly, after we blew access to Rita, just, you know, I don't, we just didn't really think it was, it wasn't one of those burning questions. Her cat poems were quite cute. Was there any episode of When Louis Met that you really wanted to do that never kind of got off the ground? I'm sure you must have been speaking to so many people at that time. We had this whiteboard. We had this massive whiteboard in the office with loads of names and then we'd just get them either crossed off or rub them off one by one. Most people said no, it's a reality. And there would have been some great people to do. I much prefer doing the weird weekends, I have to say personally, to the individuals because it sort of straitjackets you in a way. You know, when we did the weird weekends, if we kind of blew it with one contributor, you knew that wasn't the end of the film. And it kind of gave you license to be a bit more free and provocative in the questions and how you're exploring it. Whereas you kind of have to pussyfoot around a little bit if you know the whole film is hanging on one person. That that's my past experience. It was a fun experience, but I didn't enjoy anything like as much as the weird weekends for that reason. Especially also as a producer, it's your job to keep it all together. Oh, I know what, sorry, I completely forgot about something that Louis and I did that I really regret that we didn't finish. Go on. Lou and I started this film about Ike Turner. So I guess the question was, how can someone reinvent themselves and survive after being so publicly exposed as a wife beater and abuser? And he was launching his first album, yeah, um, for years. And so we went to meet him in um, San Diego and he's giving out these badges with I still like Ike on them. And what was incredible was he was an incredible musician and he'd married this woman who was like a Tina Turner lookalike. And he was just a really flamboyant character. He was sort of arguing with quite early iterations of Satnav. He was kind of at times really open with Louis. We were sitting at the airport on the way to St. Louis, actually. And um, he started talking about his early sexual experiences. I mean, super early. And he was brilliant. And, 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 and so almost what you want from a character, like complex, charismatic and endearing, open, damaged. Um, but then by the time we got to New York, he kind of more or less had a breakdown over the pressure of doing his album. And so kind of closed us out. So we, we, we did half a film, although I'd really mucked the sound up massively in St. Louis. I'd sort of I had my headphones. I wasn't very good at doing sound and the sound recordist had sort of set them. So, and I sort of ended up with the headphones by my neck. So most of the sound at that bit was unusable. But anyway, we only found that out later when Louis went back to it and was like, why doesn't the sound work in that bit? We came back to England. Louis and I were really excited about it, thinking, well, we'll pick it up when he's recovered because he's fascinating. And then the Jimmy Savile film went out and then the BBC were like, why do someone as obscure as Ike Turner? They didn't want us to carry on. And then I came over to London and then the tables had turned because he came over to London 
and was playing the jazz club, Ronnie Scott, and he invited Lou and I to go. And he was really wanting us to do the film again, because by that time, the album had come out, he'd won a Grammy, he'd been successful. And it was sort of a bit awkward because we were having to say, mm, we can't, you know, the BBC won't let us carry on with the project. And I kind of regret that one because I think he's, he was, for all his flaws and complexities, a really talented musician who'd come through a really difficult childhood. And I thought there'd have been some really universal themes for people, even if they hadn't known his music or his history. So Anne is doing a big talk for the cruise afterwards. She's done that kind of sit-down signing session. It's very full. It's standing room only. She's packed out. This is like Peter K gig. There's a Q&A afterwards <laughs> and a woman asks in the most clipped English accent I've ever heard. You were quoted in the press before this holiday as saying that you hoped you were going to have a whale of a time. Yeah. Have you had a whale of a time? <laughs> Plan. Such a plan. It is very much Mr. Burns. Your campaign seems to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? Anne is then riffing and joking about whales in the dining room. She's absolutely killing this gig. It feels like she's doing a like successful slot at the fringe at this point. There is comedians that have never had this many laughs. Hundred <laughs> percent. Louis sitting next to Rita during this, and he says that they fall into conversation naturally afterwards. Anne's, you know going away talking to people and Louis says he knows that Anne doesn't want him to interview her mum without her being there but he says he couldn't resist could you resist no it's too much but also oh no you just already know what's gonna happen so Louis kind of says he expected Anne's mum to be quite serious like she is but Rita says no I love a bit of fun she loves a bit of fun she says her husband was a very serious man Louis says that probably Anne takes after him instead of her she kind of agrees with that says some very lovely stuff about Anne she says she was a very determined child she knew what she wanted then Louis really pushes the boundaries. I'm nervous for them. It's like scenes in Uncut Gems. The tension here that they're going to get caught is too much. He raises whether Rita ever had hopes of Anne getting married. Fuck. Rita says she never thought about it. Honestly, she never, ever thought about it. She says Anne had a lot of male friends. Her and Anne are very, very close. And she says she has great fun with her brother when he comes. We find out that he is a canon, someone in the priesthood at Bristol Cathedral. Anne's not mentioned him at all, has she either? No, not think about him. And then Anne arrives. They've been caught, busted. She immediately tells Louis off and says, I thought we'd discussed this. You're not to interview my mother when I'm not there. Louis says, oh, come on, it's been very harmless. We've been supervised by Veronica. Don't put the blame on Veronica. <laughs> Anne argues, that's not relevant. It's not what was agreed. Serious teacher voice again. The camera immediately goes down and starts filming the carpet. And Louis sounds really somber and says, I apologise. So it's back to just Anne and Louis. They go sightseeing. Louis plays Instagram husband and he's taking pictures of Anne at the sites. But he's given no more time with just Rita. That is done. Back to work and we're off to Nottingham. The Big Apple. The Big Ham. The Big Robin Hood. So they're travelling, I think, first class. Looks very swanky. Anne is on this huge, bulky laptop. She's working on a speech. We're in the tech age now, though, laptops. Yeah, but it looks like something from Robot Wars. Louis has the papers. He's reading the papers. And we hear that she's on the campaign trail for Ken Clark. And then we see Louis and Anne in the local radio studio in Nottingham speaking to a very partridge-like local DJ. So he baits her a little bit and says, okay, so you're all in for Ken Clark, but he's going to lose. So 
Louis just sat there like hand over his mouth trying not to laugh and Anne stays pretty cool as a cucumber says well I wouldn't be putting all my energy into supporting him if I thought that was true would I we learn that Anne is being looked after by a special branch there's kind of a clip of a guy but his face is blacked out because he's clearly like part of the secret service and this kind of shows how big she is at this moment that she needs security Anne explains there's been asylum demonstrations and they are quite violent. Around this time, there's an article from The Guardian from earlier this year, 2002, about campaigners oppose home office choice of remote rural locations. So the idea was that the home office decided to send thousands of asylum seekers to eight centres based in rural parts of Britain. And sometimes this would equal the doubling of population in these areas. So this was a really controversial scheme. Then later in that year, there is an asylum seeker hunger strike, 40 asylum seekers who are based at a detention centre in Dungavel in Lanarkshire. So we kind of touch on this a little bit later. I'm imagining Anne, with her very conservative views, has possibly said something that's pissed people off in this moment. It's clearly a real touchy subject, very difficult subject. So Anne is getting a photo outside with a priest. She's doing a talk in a church. And then we kind of see something splash against the wall. It was an egg. Someone has tossed an egg from a car or something, but they're both missed. Louis says, we've got an egg sniper. This is the time of egg throwing. It's only a year since Big John Prescott was hit by an egg in the side of the head and then punched someone right in the face. Anne does not do that. Inside the church, Louis says there seems to be no evidence of protesters. Again, there's quite a lot of people there. Anne's talking and Louis says in the voiceover, Anne begins to talk about asylum seekers. And then suddenly this young woman stands up from the front row, throws an egg at the pulpit and it hits it, but doesn't hit Anne. And then she starts loudly shouting. And then she's quite forcefully grabbed pushed to the ground basically and then dragged out of this church she's shouting you are racist scum and as she goes but Anne is unflappable quite impressive actually it really is she looks to push on with a speech she says well actually what I was saying is I don't believe prisons are a good place for asylum seekers and then she mentions the protester and says her indignation does her credit but the method of protest leaves a lot to be desired I mean it's only a fucking egg isn't it it's an egg in a church for god's sake Cut to Louis backstage eating a buffet and complimenting the very superior nibbles. Wearing a terrible beige fleece as well. Someone compliments Anne on her handling of the protester during her talk and Anne says, oh no, no, that's nothing, that's nothing. I'm experienced in most missiles of protest. I mean, I want to know more. Does that include feces? Does it include feces? We don't know. I couldn't Google that, I'm afraid. Anne Whittacombe feces was not on my Google search history. Anne and Louis are back on the train down to London. So Anne yawns a lot. She's knackered. And Louis comments that she's so busy. He then decides to pose the question that perhaps she didn't have a family because she had so many ambitions. Fuck off, Louis. (laughs) But she actually takes the question pretty well, which I guess maybe is a demonstration of how times have changed. I don't know if she would have taken that question so well now. She just says, Mr. Wright didn't come along and it wasn't a priority. Louis asks if it's too late. She kind of laughs, says she's 53. She's only 53. Louis says some people get married at 80. But she says she's not going to. This is a dead end once again. Let's not go down this road again. He insists that people are curious about her and her sexuality and her relationships and things. And Anne seems kind of amused, but like quite embarrassed. I think she gets quite red in the face and she just, yeah, doesn't want to talk about it. Well, maybe she took Louis' advice to heart because next thing you know, we're in the hairdresser's chair. 
and Anne is about to get a new look. Louis says, while she's in the chair, that Anne's had criticism for her hair in the past. And Anne sort of says, well, the women that's cutting my hair right now used to cut my hair then. So that's actually quite an offensive thing to say. And then she says, actually, some people inquired about my last hairstyle because they liked it. A page boy kind of blunt fringe look. Pudding bowl also described as... So the Tory party leader announcement is imminent. This is probably the only time we really touch on Anne's political views. Louis says that Anne is much closer politically to Ian Duncan Smith. Ian Duncan Smith is someone a bit more on the far right compared to Ken Clark, who is considered kind of a bit more central. He's very pro-Europe. Now kind of seen as this very cuddly figure of the Tory party. It's really strange how he's kind of evolved, even though he was part of like Thatcher's government and stuff. Anne's clearly thinking pragmatically at this time. She says she is closer to Ian Duncan Smith than Ken politically, but she thinks Ken could get them into government. She thinks he'd win a general election, essentially. So the hair transformation continues. Louis calls the colour ginger and then says, no, strawberry blonde, strawberry blonde. The cut's not bad. It's shorter. Maybe makes her look a bit older. I don't know if I love it. She's been chesmerised. She has. And I mean, I've written, hey, do what you want with your hair. I see. Yeah, do what you want with her. Louis kind of patronizingly says, Good job, Nikki. Like Nikki needed that. Yeah, exactly. We go to Parliament. There's a big crowd outside. Anne walks out and tells Louis that Ian Duncan Smith has won. He won the election. Ken hasn't won. Louis says in his voiceover that he thinks Anne is more upset about Ken Clark's loss than she's letting on. She tells him she wasn't surprised, but she is disappointed. And she's never been confident of a Clark win, but she was hopeful. She looks really down. Which is a shame because she's got a nice hot pink suit on, new hair, looking pretty fly. Well, it'll do wonders on the back benches because that's where she's going to be because she's no longer Shadow Home Secretary. She's back to being, as Louis puts it, simply a backbencher. So they're in the Sky News offices after this and Anne says she's looking forward to some relative peace on the back benches. Is she? I don't buy it. Not even slightly. And she sort of says she'll still do things like Ready Steady Cook and Parkinson, but she's looking forward to Pastures New. It's like she's saying all this, but she doesn't seem that thrilled. The page goes off, Louis jokes, hey, that's my old job. <laughs> and then it's the final goodbye for Anne and Louis. We are back at Anne's house for a takeaway. Looks like a Chinese, I reckon. Louis says, well ordered, Anne. As we know from Anne's website, she's really good at ordering takeaways. She is, she is. Louis raises the fact, you know, two years ago, you were being spoken about as a future leader. Now you're on the back benches. And Anne says, oh, that's a great relief, actually. That's a great relief. And Louis kind of says, honestly, she says she would have done it if she'd won, but she can't say there's any active sense of loss. And you know how this feels, because we all know how this feels when something's happened and you're like, I need to accept this so that I'm just going to talk myself into it and then eventually I'll believe it. And that really feels like what she's doing right now. When really, if Louis wasn't there, she'd probably just sit on the sofa and be like, fuck's sake. <laughs> I've been a big can of special brew. Yeah. So Louis says in the voiceover, despite their differences, he's grown fond of Anne and admires the way she's adapting to the changes in her life, which... I mean, she's not even had a chance to think about that. She's ordered a takeaway, though. That's yeah. how she's adapting to change. And then we kind of see them both sat on the couch, getting ready to eat the takeaway. I thought Anne would be very much, you have dinner at the dinner table sort of person. And Mr. Pugwash is there. We haven't seen Carruthers. Where the hell's he? Goodness gracious. Anne says she'll be glad when this documentary is over. 
Louis, maybe three sheets of the wind, says he'll be quite sorry. That raises the good point. If you're like a normal person, you like bringing projects to their conclusion, surely that'd be good. And he says, I oh, am, yeah, but I've enjoyed this one. <laughs> forget all those other guys. What a load of pish. <laughs> forget Neil and Christine. Forget Wild Wayne. It's me and you, Anne. He says that he hopes she likes the finished result. And uh, Anne seems very dubious. He sets off into the night and they share kisses on the cheek as they go. He says, I've been dreading this day, which she's not buying that for a second. And then we get a great line, great closing line from the taxi driver. Do you know who that is? Um, Anne Whittacom. No. Good night. Who's Anne Whittacom? <laughs> she's really great. <laughs> Okay, so that's the end. Would you like to know what happens next? Yes, please. What happened to Anne? So Anne did an interview with The Independent in 2002 after the documentary came out. And it says, what did Whittaker make her through? He rather charmingly pretends to be terribly naive. And there was one occasion, not on film, where he seriously tried to persuade me. And this is a guy who read history at Oxford. They didn't know whether St. James's Palace was still standing. I said, Louis, you're rumbled. Maybe he just forgot. <laughs> Then they talk about the fact that Christine Hamilton appeared to be smitten with Louis. Did Widdicombe fancy him? Certainly not. Not my scene. Come on. To be fair, I did not get the vibe of fancying each other. Not even slightly. So Anne obviously backed the wrong course in that leadership election. She does the same in 2005. Said she wasn't really fond of David Cameron. David Cameron wins. So she's back on the back benches again. She retired from politics at the end of the 2010 general election as the Tories get into power. She returned to politics in 2019 as a candidate for the Brexit party in the European Parliament elections. She managed to win that. She's expelled from the Conservative Party because she's run for the Brexit party. She's a staunch Brexiteer. And then her maiden speech in the European Parliament, she compares the 2016 Brexit vote to the emancipation of slavery. Oh, come on. Good one, Anne. Real smart move there. Fucking hell. Get the eggs. <laughs> Do more eggs. Can we go back in time? <laughs> She was in Celebrity Big Brother, Celebrity Fit Club. She was in that twice. She was an Agni Art for three months for The Guardian. Only three months? Yeah. That didn't go well. Wasn't quite her audience. Any TV show you could think of, Anne Whittacombe had a go. Of course, very famously, Strictly Come Dancing. Couldn't escape the limelight. When's Louis going to do Strictly Come Dancing? Oh, it's got to be on the cards. Alex, is this a whale of a time? Or is this one of Anne's cat poems? Good Louis or bad Louis? Oh, it's a bit boring, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame because I remembered this episode and I remembered certain bits where she gets very annoyed and things like that. But I think it just didn't feel that exciting. And I suppose unless you're like a major UK politics nerd, it might not keep your attention. So I think I'm going to say it's pretty ropey, Louis. <laughs> Yeah, I get your point. It is quite mundane and quite banal. The bits I love in When Louis Met so far has been all the snippets behind the scenes of TV shows. But yeah, I don't know whether that's enough to give me a 48-minute documentary. I'm going to give it a middling okay, Louis. Okay, Louis. Which is what Anne wishes she never said. Right. If you're thinking it's awkward that the director of this episode will probably hear us calling her work, okay, Louis, here's Kate again. What are you going to vote then? Maybe it's bad, Louis. I can't believe I'm saying that to the director. Sorry. What would you say, good Louis or bad Louis? Very bad, Louis. Very bad, Louis. Yeah. 
<laughs> Double thumbs down. I think you've got to have a real passion for the subject. And frankly, I don't think Louis was that passionate about doing Anne Widdicombe. He'd just come back from America a few years earlier and didn't have a massive interest in um, politics or cats. Um, they were two of their <laughs> passions. They kind of shared a bit of an obsession with, um, I think it was the, um, the Civil War, but that sort of dried out after a while. So there wasn't that connective tissue. And I think it didn't feel that like they particularly bonded in the way that Louis normally does with people. And his curiosity point, which it sort of seemed to rest more on her being single and more her celebrity status. Because it was kind of interesting. She had the witty web up and before internet, she was definitely pushing herself as a kind of um, into the celebrity zone. But I was kind of shocked, quite shocked, frankly, looking in this morning how, and, and it was obviously 20 years ago, it's a different time, but him picking at her single status and her virginity, for me, it got really uncomfortable watching it back. And that's obviously bad on me as well, because I was the editor and producer. But there's a really uncomfortable bit, which I've sort of forgotten. He's in the he's in the wings with David Meller and some other bloke when Anne's on the programme. And yeah. it just feels uncomfortable that they're commenting on her. So I think with Louis... Yeah, I, I think he just needs to be engaged in the subject and have more of a burning question than whether a middle-aged woman is a virgin. Thanks for listening. Next time, Louis meets boxer Chris Eubank. Meanwhile, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, but not the witty web, at allthroughpod. Angels on your bodies.